Welcome, and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. we're in this series, we're going to be reading the totality of the passage that we're going to be in in that morning as we start. And this is what we're saying in which this is the moment in which the Spirit of God begins to teach because the best teacher here at City Bridge is not myself or Jeff or Kyle or whoever's on this stage. Uh, The best teacher is the Spirit of God. And so our role is to unpack what the Spirit of God through the Word of God wants to say to the people of God. Uh, So let me read our passage this morning, James 1, picking up in verse 19 through the end of the chapter. It says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle the tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the word. And so that is James 1, 19 through 27. And so before we dive into that, let me kind of set up our time for us this morning. Uh, My son is at a really fun age right now. Uh, He's two, uh, which means that he's starting to have these little bitty conversations with us as he's putting together words and meanings and ideas. And we've even gotten him to pray uh, with us. And and pray for us is just him kind of repeating what we say. And for some reason, whenever he's just talking and repeating us, he talks in a normal volume. But when he prays, for whatever reason, he starts whispering. And we have no idea why. Uh, like we'll say, hey buddy, say God. And he'll go, God. We'll say, say thank you. Thank you. And we're like, buddy, what are you doing? Like, are you trying to be reverent? Like, I don't know what's happening here. And I don't know where you learned that, but I love it because he's starting to kind of piece together words and ideas. And so we can have these little conversations with him and we can even ask him to do things like go to your room or pick up your toys or go grab your shoes because we're about to leave and he'll actually do them. So we've arrived. We've made it. It's all clear sailing from here, right? (laughs) Except for the fact that as he's learning how to speak and communicate, he's also learning that he has opinions and he has wants and he has a will that is oftentimes different than mama and dada's will. And because we are older and we see things differently and we kind of want him to live life a certain way in the way that he wants to live life, doesn't make sense all the time. Like he thinks that dirt is a acceptable food source. 
he thinks rocks should be shoved in his mouth and, and played with. He, he thinks that the way you connect with other people is throwing cars at them, uh, little toy cars at them. And, and so there's a way that seems right to him that doesn't go well. And so we as his parents have to come alongside and constantly guide and direct because we want him to obey us, not in order, in order for him to earn our love, but because we deeply love him and want him to have life and life abundantly as he walks out what we are speaking into him. And so this past week, uh, my wife and I, one of the big things that uh, he's kind of going through some disciplinary actions with is he just, anytime he gets a car, which is his favorite toy, he just throws it at different people. And so we're typically the recipient of that. And so he threw it at my wife and my wife goes, hey buddy, no, 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 no throw, play. I'm gonna show you a better way. Like I'm gonna show you how to play with this thing. And he goes, okay. And then he picked up the car and he threw it back at her. My, my wife goes, hey, buddy, no, 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 no. Did you hear what my mama said? No throw. And he goes, yeah. I go, okay, did you disobey mama? And he goes, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So at least we're on the same page here. Do you understand now that there's consequences for these actions? And then silence uh, after that. Uh, now I say all that because this, that in many ways that's us before God that God sees our lives playing out differently. He is the author of life and he's the giver of life. He's the sustainer of life. And God so loves us that he has called us into a relationship with him by grace through faith based on the work of Jesus Christ. And as we come to know this God, we're supposed to look like him and act like him. And so God so loves us that he has given us his word that we can read, but then respond to, that we can read, but then live out in our lives. And it's the goal of God that he would look at his kids and out of a love for them, guide them and direct them, which is why he's given us his word. That these are the very words of God that he desires to communicate to us. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that the word of God is God-breathed and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? so that the person of God might be equipped, ready for every good work. So God so loves us that yes, he's gonna save us, but he wants to sanctify us. He wants us to live a life worthy of the calling in which we've been called. He wants us as Christians to look like Christ, not to earn his love, but as a response to his love. And the truth is so many of us are like my toddler, that we hear the word of God whether it's as you're reading God's word on your own or, or hearing it in a sermon or maybe a community group shares something from this to you in biblical counseling, and we hear it, but we fail to do it because there's still a way that seems right to us. And no matter how hard we try our own game, our own offense, it always leads to destruction. And God's got a better way. And he so loves us that he's given us that better way to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. He wants you to have life and life abundantly and he knows it's found in him and obeying his word. And so that's what James is going to address with us this morning. We're in a series moving through the book of James. 
And if you recall, James is writing to a group of believers. These are individuals that have already come to know the goodness and grace of God, and yet they're not living like it. They're Christians, not living like Christians. They're people who follow Christ, but they don't look like Christ. They're running their own way, their own offense, and yet God so loves them, and he's gonna call them not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And when they do that, he is calling them to live this single-minded, stable, and undefiled lives. That's the thesis of the book of James. And so in our passage this morning, we're gonna see how do we live this type of life? How do we receive the word of God? But then how do we respond to it? And my hope is as we see this, we're gonna see how do we receive God's word? How do we respond to it? And then we're gonna get a picture of what that looks like. And as we move through this passage, we, yes, are gonna see James calling us to receive and to respond to God's word but we're also gonna see just how much James's mind has been baptized by God's word so that when he speaks, he's speaking the very words of God to us. And so let's dive in. First, James is gonna call us to receive God's word. Verse 19 says, "'Know this, my beloved brothers, "'let everyone, every person be quick to hear "'and slow to speak, slow to anger, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So I want you to notice a couple of things about this passage. The first thing is James is gonna highlight your identity. He's gonna call them beloved brothers, beloved sisters, that this is a group of people who have already trusted in Christ that they are already fully loved by God. And because they have accepted the goodness and the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are a part of God's family, which means that this is a family conversation. This is amongst believers. And it's because that they have been loved, because that's their new identity in Christ, this new identity leads to a different activity. Who they are, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, is gonna impact now what they do. It says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? Because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now think about that verse for a moment and think about the world we live in. Because the world we live in celebrates and encourages the opposite of this. It wants you to be slow to hear, quick to speak, quick to anger. If you don't believe me, jump on Twitter for five seconds and that's what you see. And James right here is calling us to look differently, to live differently, to look like the author of life, to look like God. In fact, there's this phrase in here, slow to anger. And that was one of the most common attributes that God referred to himself as in the Old Testament. It's one of the most common ideas and characteristics about who our God is. And the first time we see it is in Exodus 34, verses six and seven, that God is about to appear to Moses and he's gonna proclaim who he is to Moses. And he says this, he says, I'm the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so what James is doing here is he's saying, hey, Christian, you should look like Christ. Hey, someone who follows God, you should look like God. God is slow to anger. 
And he's quick to mercy and grace and he's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so we should look at this and go, does that describe me? Does that describe my life? Would people say that I'm slow to anger or the opposite? Because the anger of man doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. And so I hear it all the time from hot-headed Christians when something happens and they respond to it, they wanna justify themselves and they go, well, that, that was righteous anger. Right, right, right there, that was righteous anger. And so I'm justified in acting that way. You ever heard that? You ever say that? The anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. And so if you're claiming righteous anger, you're claiming the anger of God in that moment. And I love what Kyle said on Good Friday in the message as he talked about the anger of Jesus. And anger of Jesus is always something that is rooted in compassion. I see someone who's sinning and they're hurting themselves and they're hurting other people. And so that compassion moves into action as I move towards them in love. That's the anger of God. And he is slow to anger. He desires all people to come to know him and to walk deeply with him. And so he is marked by a gracious faithfulness, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Does that describe you? Because for so many of us, like if God used your definition of righteous anger, I think we'd all be dead. And yet, praise God that he is slow to anger. And when that anger is rooted in a compassion that moves towards people in an action of love, because the anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. James is saying here, hey, I want you, as you continue to walk with God, to begin to look more and more like him in this life as those emotions kind of fill you up. Maybe it's anger, maybe it's lust, maybe it's frustration, maybe it's pride, maybe it's insecurity, maybe it's control. As those willow up in you, I want you to recognize that that's not our God and that's not what he wants for you. He is slow to anger and you should be too. Your identity as a beloved son and daughter of God should impact your activity. Who you are should impact what you do. And so what happens in these moments? What do we do when those feelings begin to crop up in us where our passage tells us to repent and to receive? Verse 21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Sin has a way to reduce our ability to hear the voice of God. It clouds our mind, it clouds our judgment. And so it says, so I want you to put away that filthiness, that wickedness. I want you to repent from the things that are keeping you from enjoying the abundant life that's found in God in Christ. I want you to repent of those things, but then I want you to receive the implanted word. And I love that word implanted word because it's loaded with meaning. I was thinking about that this, this week that James was Jesus's half brother, which meant he grew up with Jesus, which meant that he had the most face time of any other New Testament writer with the person of Jesus. And if you're around Jesus for long, he's kind of a teacher and he shares stories and he talks in parables. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which shows us that Jesus used this one parable often, Jesus tells a story about an implanted word. He goes, hey, there was this farmer 
You might be familiar with this. There was this farmer that went out and threw some seeds out. Some seeds fell on rocks, some seeds fell on kind of shallow soil, some seeds fell amongst the weeds. And what he's doing in that moment is he's explaining that the word of God is the seed that's going out. And so what we can infer from that parable is this, the word of God will go out. It will be pushed forward. God will ensure that his word is preserved and it is preached out loud constantly and proclaimed on stages and in this world. The word of God will go forth. And I pray every single week before I jump up on stage, Isaiah 55, that says the word of the Lord will accomplish what it's set out to accomplish. God wants his word to go out and his will is that his word goes out. The seeds are being scattered. What makes all the difference though is the receptive heart. Because as the word goes out, Jesus says in this parable, hey, some of those seeds are gonna fall on kind of rocky soil. They're gonna bing off your heart and go a different way. You got a hard heart. Hey, some of that word is gonna go on kind of shallow soil. And, and so you're gonna get excited by maybe putting something into the practice, but you're also going, well, I'm gonna put this blog into practice and with this otherworldly wisdom of practice, I'm just gonna see which one fits the best. And so things are gonna kind of spur up, but then all of a sudden the world's gonna come at you and there's gonna be a little bit of pushback. And so all of a sudden you're gonna, re, you're gonna return to your old ways, run your old offense. Or maybe for some of you, it's gonna come and it's gonna land like amongst weeds, which the weeds are the worries of this world. And so the word of God begins to be choked out because we're so stressed all the time. And so Jesus says, hey, the word of God isn't gonna go out, but guess what? There's another soil. There's another heart and it's the good soil. And when the word of God lands in there, it's implanted in there and then it's gonna burst forth in life. Because that's what I want for you. I want your life to be marked by the word of God being implanted deeply into you, but then it's gonna burst forth in life as you are a blessing and you get to bless others. And James right here is picking up on that language and he's showing us how do we be the good soil? How do we be those that receive the word of God? And he says it plainly. He says, we do it with meekness, with meekness. Meekness is the idea of strength that's restrained. You are an amazing human being because you are a human being. You have been made in the image and likeness of God. And so there's strength and there's power in you. And yet power unchecked will lead us away from the author of life. There is a way that seems right to us and we will run our own way. And so when life comes up at us, our natural response is try to figure it out on our own. And God is going, no. He goes, you're like a war horse. That's what that word meek sometimes connects to. You're like a war horse that's going into battle and a war horse alone will only cause destruction around it. But a war horse with a rider that's guiding and directing it, man, that's powerful. God's not trying to restrain who you are. He's trying to free you up to be who you are. And so we receive the word of God with meekness, meaning that I don't just glance over this, but rather I come under this. I do the things it says to me to do. I read it, I receive it. And so I saw this playing out in my own life, all of this a little bit ago. Um, this idea of when something kind of begins to well up in you, and in my case, it was anger, and just what happened when the word of God came into me. 
It was a little bit ago, I was with my old community group and uh, we had this uh, kind of conversation about, hey, what happens when somebody in the group maybe spends a little bit above a certain amount of money? Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart is also. And so we wanted to be checking each other's hearts. And so we kind of had this number in mind and said, hey, anytime you go over that number, would you bring that to the group and we can have this conversation? And one of the couples uh, was going to, like the next week went to go and buy a couch. And they were like, like a dollar over the spending amount. And so they did what we had decided to do. They, they brought it before the group. And I did what I thought we had agreed upon as a good community group member. And I just like pelted them with questions, right? And at a certain point, that's a good thing. You wanna be checking each other's heart in these matters. But I went from having this healthy conversation to adding this undue burden upon them. And I began to asking all these questions like, well, do you really need the couch? You know, how about sitting on the floor? Are you content with the old couch? What did your old couch ever do to you? You know, like all these things that really was positioning me to be their judge. And they had an answer to almighty me. I didn't see it. I was just following the rules until the husband called me up and he goes, hey buddy, um, man, the way you responded to that really frustrated me. And I'd love to get together and talk about that before our next guy's time. And I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you're fine and then all of a sudden you realize someone's frustrated at you. And so you just go, well, then I'm frustrated at you. But like their frustration bleeds into you and it kind of creates more frustration. So that's what began to happen in me. I was confused, I was frustrated and that began to willow up in me. And so I began to go, okay, what am I supposed to do in this moment? Cause all I wanna do is huff and puff and blow his world upside down biblically, right? Cause that's what you're supposed to do with the Bible. But then I did what the Bible actually instructs me to do in those moments. See, Jesus said in Matthew seven, hey, if your brother has a speck in his eye, you need to take the plank out of your, your eyes before you can help your brother take the speck out of your own. And so I went and prayed, um, probably the most like not coherent prayer ever, because I just went to God and I was like, hey God, um, this is mostly this guy's fault. But if I have a plank in my eye, um, would you remove it so I could take the bigger plank that's in it? I mean, it was such a prideful prayer, right? And yet God was so faithful because he showed me in that moment, hey, Derek, for the sake of a rule that y'all made up, you're willing to ruin a relationship because you're frustrated and you're mad. And you've made your rule the rule and you're putting a burden on this brother that I'm not putting on them and Derek, that's pride and that's sin. And you need to repent from that. And so I did and I went to go and meet with my brother in Christ. And the first thing I did is I just looked at him and I just go, hey buddy, would you forgive me? Man, I missed it here. I cared more about the rules we created than the relationship that we're in. And so buddy, my heart for you is that you would have life and life abundantly, that you would walk deeply with God. And let me tell you something, I did not show that to you in my communication. Would you forgive me? And I just saw him go from tense to, because as Rob Berry says around here often, humility looks good on everyone. And we ended up having this amazing conversation about what it actually looks like to check each other's heart in situations like this. 
And in that moment, what was happening in me was this, like this moment clicked in my heart and all of a sudden all this anxiety and anger and frustration began to willow up and all I wanted to do was come at him. And yet God was so merciful to have the word of God implant deeply in me so that what came out of me was not fear, was not anger, was not frustration, was not anxiety, was not control, was not self-righteousness or self-preservation, but rather it was love and it saved that relationship. And I have to wonder what would have happened if I just fired off that text. If I just called him up and ripped him apart. I don't know if we'd be friends today. And so my question for you is where have you been slow to listen? Quick to speak, quick to anger. Has it been with your kids? Your coworkers? Community? Spouse, we are experts in justifying ourselves. And God calls us to something more. He calls us to look like him. And so in those moments, pause and receive the word of God that can calm your heart, save your soul, and maybe just save a relationship. We are called to receive the word of God but then we respond to it. And that's where the passage goes next. He says in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks at the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no, hearer of, no, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And so right here, James is using a mirror analogy. Like for me, most mornings I wake up and I walk through, like walk past a mirror. It's a passing glance at best. I'm basically looking at it to make sure and validate that I'm wearing clothes so I can move on throughout the day. Because fun fact, my hair naturally falls this way. <laughs> and so there's not a lot that I can do to kind of change my overall look. And so on most days, I just kind of look and move on. But on certain days, maybe a date night, maybe there's a meeting that day, or maybe I'm you know, in front of like several hundred of my friends. On those days, I interact with the mirror differently because I'm anticipating something. I know that there's something that's gonna happen that day that I wanna make sure that all of this is actually correct, right? And so if something's not in the right place, I need to actively go to work to change it. And what James is saying in this moment is he's saying, this is what the word of God is. Like so many of us, when we open up God's word, it's so casual and it's so quick and what you seek, you will find. And if you seek, hey, 10 minutes in God's word, congratulations, you're gonna get 10 minutes in God's word and that's it. But if you come expecting to see God, to hear from God, to see what God thinks about you, what God desires for you in your life and how you can move out into this world and love God and love others in the way that's gonna make a significant impact, then that is what you will find. Because God is eager and earnestly desiring to communicate to you more than we will ever be to hear from him. He is sitting at the table waiting. 
And so the word of God is this mirror unto our lives. It shows us really who we are and who God is. And I love what the passage says. He calls it the, the law of liberty. He calls it the perfect law. That this is this perfect mirror unto ourselves that we see maybe where we're missing, where we're off, where we need to change, where we need to repent from, where we need to move forward with. It's a perfect law from a perfect God, but it's a law of liberty. It's a law of freedom. That God isn't trying to rip us off. He wants you to set you free to a life that is really marked by knowing him and walking with him deeply to be filled of joy and peace and satisfaction that's only found in him, not doing our own thing. And he says that those who do this, you see it at the end? They're gonna be blessed by it. And so James says in this, I want you to look into this. And it's the Greek word to peer. I want you to peer into it. I want you to read it as it reads you. And when you see it and you hear it and you do it, you will be blessed in the doing. Do, do you see the heart of God in this? That he loves you so much that he has given you his word, his very word, that we could read it, yes, receive it, yes, but then respond to it. And that leads to a life of freedom and a life of blessing. You know why God wants this for you? It's because he's a good dad. He's a good dad. I'm an imperfect father and all I want for my son is life and joy and peace and love. That his life would be marked by less scars because of sin and more joy because of a deep relationship with God. That's what I want for my son and that's what God wants for you. It's why I personally have prayed over a hundred times for my son that he would be a blessed man according to Psalms 1. That he would be a blessed man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight would be in the law of the Lord and on his law he would meditate on day and night. And when he does so, he would be like a tree planted deeply by streams of water whose leave does not wither, and in all that he does, that he would prosper in this life. That's what I want for my son, and that's what God wants for you, because he's a good dad. He wants you to receive his word, but then respond to it, and when we do, that is when we become single-minded and stable with undefiled lives. And so question for you, when was the last time you read God's word and you said, oh my goodness, I have to go and do this? It says to forgive, I have to go and forgive that person. It says to love the way I've been loved, how I've been, I've been loved, sacrificially and without measure. Okay, who can I go and love this way? It says to pray for others. Okay, I'm so often praying for myself. I'm gonna go, who can I pray for? It says to go and encourage one another and rebuke one another. And it says to confess your sins to one another. And so what can I do today? What are sins in my life I can confess? What are ways I can encourage one another and speak life to one another? When was the last time you read this and go, man, I got to hold on to this truth today. So I'm going to write it down. I'm going to put it in a place that I'm going to see it all throughout the day as a reminder of my God's love and faithfulness to me. When was the last time you did that? Because if we are just hearing God's word and not doing it, James says that we are being deceptive. We're deceiving ourselves. And all James is doing right here is he's quoting Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. 
And where James says you're being deceptive, Jesus will say that if you are a hearer of God's word and not a doer of God's word, you are going to lead a life of utter destruction. You see, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount went around and he kind of laid out what full devotion to Christ really looks like. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says this in Matthew 7. He says, not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and cast out demons in your name and do these mighty works in your name, all this religious external things. Didn't we do all these things for you? And Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. So depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell. And the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. James is saying, hey, when you hear the word of God and don't do it, you're deceiving yourself. And Jesus says, when you hear the word of God and don't do it, you are gonna lead your life into a life of utter destruction because life will come at you and you will be destroyed because your anchor is not the word of God. And then one day you will stand before an almighty God and if you've been lying to yourself your whole life, I'm hearing the word, I'm not doing it and you've never come into that relationship with Christ, then Jesus will say, I never knew you. You never received my word. You never responded to it. The seeds went out and they binged off your heart. This passage should convict us. And so once again, let me ask you, when was the last time you read God's word? and then you responded to it. Because if you can't think of one, you may just be deceiving yourself. And so let's help one another. As a community of Christ followers, let's help one another. In community groups, let's be asking, hey, what are you reading in God's word this week? What are you receiving from him? And then how are you responding to that? And one of the ways that we can do that, one of my favorite kind of Bible study one-on-one things is this, that as you read God's word, how do you respond to it? Well, first ask the text, the specs. You ask the text, the specs. Spec stands for sins to avoid, promises to believe, examples to follow, commands to obey, and significant truths to celebrate. That as you read God's word, that you would be asking these questions to it, that does it talk about a sin to avoid or a promises to believe or an example to follow or a command to obey or a significant truth that I need to celebrate and I need to praise about my God. And if it's doing that, then you grab one of those and you make it personal and practical to your life that day. Imagine a world if we begin to do that, that every time we either preach the word of God from front or you were in God's word or in community talking about God's word, we just pause and go, okay, how can we receive it, but then also respond to it? What would that look like today? Not to earn God's love, but because we already have it. Not to earn God's smile, but because he smiles on you.
We have everything we need for life and godliness right here because it shows us who life is. It points us to the author of life. And that's what we need in this life, that we receive the word of God, but then we respond to it. And James is gonna end this passage by showing us a picture of what that would look like. And he says in verse 26, he says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, there's that word again. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, you ready? It's to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James is coming at us really strong right here. He's saying, hey, if you call yourself a Christian, but you're not orienting your life to go and love those that are less fortunate, the orphan and the widow, and if you're not keeping yourself unstained from the world, then that religion, whatever you call it, is worthless. It's useless. He'll say next week, he'll say next chapter that that religion is dead. That faith is dead. You as a believer should look like a believer. You as a Christian should look like Christ. You as someone who follow after God should look like God. And right here, he is saying, hey, I want you to forsake certain things, but I want you to move towards other people in love. And this thing right here can be very convicting, but it's a conviction that is an invitation. The passage right here from beginning to end begins with us being angry at someone that we think deserves it. But then the word of God comes in and where it ends is us moving towards people in love who don't deserve it, who are undeserving. You see, orphan and widows in this culture, in this time period, were those that were the most vulnerable in this society, the most unloved, the most unwanted. And God is saying this, you know what pure religion looks like? You know what pleases me? It's not when you spout off everything that's in you but it's when you move towards other people, especially those, the orphan, the widow, the undeserving, the unwanted, the people that can't give you anything in return, when you move towards them in love as you run away from the wickedness and filth that so easily entangles us. You know why God wants that? Because he loves you. And he loves them. And that sin doesn't lead to life but forsaking and following him, being guided and directed by him towards those that are unwanted and hurting. That's what leads to life. Right now, City Bridge, we have this amazing opportunity, an amazing opportunity to live this out. It just so happens that today is Mother's Day. And it just so happens that this week was announced in our country that the potential that Roe versus Wade might be overturned. And it just so happens that we're in James 1, that God says the religion that is pure and undefiled before God isn't one that spouts out anger, but one that loves others around us. We have an amazing opportunity right now. And so yes, we pray that Roe versus Wade is overturned, but we pray even more that the hearts of people would turn back to God and towards life, towards him. And so we can celebrate the lives that are being saved right now. But the question we have to ask ourselves is are we willing to reorient our lives 
to help and to love. Because the truth is, not just with this situation, but in countless situations around you, you have an opportunity to love different, to look different, to live different, because your anchor is not the world, it's the word of God that points to God who loves you and loves the world. And so my ask of you this week is, would you prayerfully consider, just prayerfully consider, what are areas of my life that I need to turn away from, to repent from, that wickedness, that filthiness, that worldliness, as I move towards other people that are unwanted, undeserving, how can I do that, God? Because that's the heart of God. And if you're unwilling to do that, listen, if you're unwilling to ask that and to make movement that way, then when you look yourself in the mirror, you will be looking at someone who doesn't care about the things of God because that's what God cares about. He cares about people. He cares about you. And I know that because God became one of us. And in the life of Jesus, he moved towards the hurting and he t- moved towards the orphan and the widow and the outcast and the, those that the world just kind of casted off. And I was thinking about this passage this week and my mind was brought to John 4 where Jesus literally goes out of his way to meet with a woman at a well who is unwanted and unloved by the world and he meets her because he wants her and he loves her and he shows her where life can be found and it's found in him and in that moment she believes and her life is never the same because she received the word but then she responded to it and when Jesus' disciples came back and they asked him, hey Jesus, do you want something to eat? He goes, no, I'm good. He said in verse 34, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What satisfies my life, what nourishes me from the inside out is to receive the word of God and respond to it. That's what brings me joy. That's what brings me life, is to love God and to love others. And so City Bridge, let's be people who receive God's word and respond to it, who learn it, but then live it out who hear it, then let's go do it. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.